going to be continuing our series today on justice, mercy, and the mission of Jesus. And we began this series last week by looking at what many consider to be a modern-day prophet, a, a man who tried to awaken the conscience of a nation. Of course, I'm speaking about Martin Luther King Jr., and he had so many different memorable turns of phrases and ways that kind of stuck in the conscience of America. Some of those sayings have actually become very, uh, very much like a proverb. One of my favorites is this. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. In other words, if there's injustice in our nation and we're either blind to it or we turn away from it, that can actually spread like a disease and threaten justice and rights for, for everyone. And, and he was speaking very much in biblical categories as he tried to awaken the nation, not only to, to live toward their better selves, but to live in light of who God himself is. God is a God who, who loves justice and mercy. And so he tried to quicken the conscience of a nation, to awaken its soul by speaking. Now, today we're going to look at one of those ancient prophets that we can find echoed through uh, the modern day prophet of Martin Luther King Jr. But we're also going to look at these words because this prophet was influential in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, separated by some 600 plus years, both of these men, Jesus and Jeremiah, stood in the capital of Jerusalem to speak to their nation, to, to shine a spotlight on the corruption of religious and political leaders but both men also tried to get people to live in light of what they said they believed. Jeremiah, of course, was known as the weeping prophet because of the tears he shed over his own people. Jesus, likewise, would lament over the hardness of his own people. And so we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. And we're going to call our study today, Delighting in What God Delights In. Delighting in what God delights in. So I want to read the passage and then pause and pray. And then we're going to dive into these scriptures together. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord. So imagine Jeremiah standing up in the capital city of Jerusalem, a place plagued with corruption, violence, and oppression. And he says, thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But, but, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let's pause and, and pray and ask God to, to be our teacher this morning. Lord, as we look at these ancient words from the prophet Jeremiah, a prophet who obviously impacted Jesus in so many different ways, as we find echoes of Jesus' own, uh, in Jesus' own ministry, the echoes of the words of Jeremiah, I pray, Lord, that these words would continue to speak even to us this day and to our generation as well. Help us to, to ask some hard questions about ourselves, to have these words impact us, and to change us. And, and be pleased, Father, to, to throw the spotlight on Jesus in the midst of all this, our, our need for him, and the kind of lives that for, should flow from, from being his disciple, from believing in him. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. So at first glance, when we look at this passage, 
There's a whole lot of boasting going on, isn't there? <laughs> Five times in, in two verses, and it's just one succinct thought, Jeremiah talks about boasting. And this word boast is from the Hebrew word halal, and it's, it actually means to glory in, to exalt or to praise. And in fact, we use part of that word in an English word. Hallelujah is two compound words. The Hebrew word halal combined with the, the Hebrew word or name for God, which is Yahweh, which is, it takes the first part of that word and puts them together. Hallelujah literally means to praise the Lord or to boast in the Lord or to glory in the Lord. So that word halal is the word that Jeremiah uses here when he says, don't boast in wisdom, don't boast in might, don't boast in riches. I like the way that it's, it's put in the, children's, or the International Children's Bible. Every week when I study uh, to prepare for the message, I, I look at a bunch of different translations, and I actually came across this translation I didn't even know existed, but I think it captures perfectly the idea behind the word here. It says, wise men must not brag about their wisdom. Strong men must not brag about their strength. Rich man must, I'm sorry, rich men must not brag about their money. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that we can boast in. Jeremiah highlights three of them. Wisdom, might or strength, and, and wealth or, or money. These are things that people in his time tended to look to look to, to define their life. To, they boasted in these things, they gloried in them. This is actually what defined their lives. And so I want to ask the question for us this morning as we dive into this text here. What else are we tempted to boast in, to, to glory in, or, or to look to, to define our life, to, to build our life around, to, to find significance and meaning? I mean, surely wisdom and might and riches are, are things that we boast in, but there's many other things. We could just make a long laundry list if we wanted to, things like popularity, self-image, our, our degrees, or you know, whatever. There's, there's lots of things that we can boast in. But we might think at the same time, well, the issue here is boasting, right? <laughs> Jeremiah says, don't boast in these things. But it's actually not the whole picture. I mean, he, he assumes that we're going to be boasting. So what he wants to do is redirect our gaze and get us to boast about the right thing. So in the midst of telling them not to boast about the wrong things, he says in verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast in this. So if you didn't know, either from reading the text this morning with me or from previously hearing this verse, if you didn't know what Jeremiah would say, what do you think he might put in that blank? Don't boast about these things, but boast about this. That's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? But this is what he says. Let him who boasts, boast in this. Let the boaster boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. So these words come in the context of an ancient world in which people thought the gods we're basically like glorified human beings. So that's why when you read ancient mythology, you see the gods and they're basically just like corrupt people. <laughs> you know, they, they abuse power, they're violent, they're, they're filled with lust. They're just like the worst of humanity, basically, in many ways. And it's not surprising then, if that's what the culture worships, that you get a culture filled with lust and violence and oppression and laziness, just everything that was mirrored in the gods. But Jeremiah speaks into his culture, and he says, look, if you want to boast about something, you need to be boasting about the right things. 
Number one, did you know and understand who God is? The, the one true God, the Lord. You see here on the screen, that word the Lord is capitalized. And whenever you see that capitalized in the Old Testament, it's referring to the covenant name of God, the name by which God revealed himself to Moses and to the people of Israel, Yahweh. And so Jeremiah would say later on in his, his work, the Lord is the true God. Yahweh is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. The, the Israelites would sing songs like this from Psalm 33. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. They proclaimed a God who is not like the gods of the nations who are corrupt and violent, who are filled with lust and, and oppression, but rather their God, the one true God, the one who created everything, is, is a God who loves righteousness and justice. And here it says the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You could literally translate this, the land is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. In other words, the people of Israel worshiping this one true God who loves justice and righteousness, it's manifested in the way that we live with one another. The earth or, or the, our land is filled with the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, Israel was called to be a, a model society or to use the words of Jesus, a city on the hill. They were meant to be a display for the world of what it means to live in relationship with a God who is holy and who loves righteousness, who loves justice, who loves mercy. Going all the way back to the time when Moses was bringing his people to the edge of the promised land and they were about to go in, Moses reminds them of this. He says, see, I have taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God has commanded me. In other words, we have our constitution as a nation. We know the way in which we're supposed to live together as a people. And the reason I've taught these two things to you is that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear of all these statutes, will say, surely this, is, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And then back in Moses' own voice, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you this day? So do you get what Moses is saying? He's saying, look, God has called us together to be a people and a special people, a people who are going to bless this world. We are a city on a hill. He's given us our constitution. He has shown us how we ought to live. And when we live this way, all the nations are gonna look and say, wow, this, this is amazing. It's meant to provoke questions. Like, why do you live this way? Why, why do you believe the sort of things you believe? It's meant to provoke questions. And that's really the backdrop of the words that Jeremiah has to say to his people because they went from bad to worse. Instead of being a blessing to the nations, they became a curse. Instead of being a light pointing to God, they became darkness. You can put your finger almost anywhere in the book of Jeremiah to get descriptions. Here's just a couple from chapter nine. Jeremiah said, everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. 
Did you catch that? <laughs> this nation is anything but a model society. They're, they're actually a study in how to live life wrongly, basically. And this is not the kind of world we would want to live in, not the kind of society. Oppression is heaped upon oppression. And here he says, they refuse to know me. These are the people of God that God says refuse to know him. And as they continue to go from bad to worse, Jeremiah basically ministered in the, the, the waning days of his society. Last week we looked at the book of Micah, who was a prophet who lived about 100 years before Jeremiah ministered. And they were already going on this slow skid to self-destruction. But now, this is what's going on in Israel. The Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is Jeremiah speaking again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods. They have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not decree, nor did it come into my mind. These are the people and the culture that Jeremiah is trying to awaken. He's trying to, to, to stir the soul of a nation to awaken their conscience. But they're so far gone that they're actually putting their children in these statues that are built like Moloch or Baal, who had arms extended and whose belly was the flaming fire. And they would sacrifice their own children upon it. This is... This is the people who don't know God, who boast about all kinds of things. And Jeremiah says, look, if you're going to boast about something, boast in knowing God. Did you understand him? That once you understand him, you actually reflect him to this world. Jeremiah says that God delights in certain things. He highlights three things. God delights in steadfast love. This is a word that means mercy, kindness, compassion. It's used actually to talk about God's commitment to his people and his commitment to blessing folks. It tells us that God also delights in justice. This has the idea of, of setting things to right in, in a culture that is filled with injustice. To practice justice is actually to set things to right. And God himself delights in righteousness. And this idea fundamentally has to do with the way we relate to one another and to God, that we rightly relate to one another. We don't seek to take advantage of one another, but our lives are guided by, by love. And so God says, these are the things I delight in. And this is all the way through the scriptures. Going back to Moses, you see this highlighted. The Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. The prophet Zechariah put it like this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrants or the poor. Or back to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the immigrant the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. As we highlighted last week when we looked at the words of the prophet Micah, Jeremiah highlights as well as all the prophets, and even going all the way back to Moses himself, a group of people 
who have been called in modern studies the, the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. These are people in any country, any society, that tend to, to be oppressed, where injustice just happens to find their door more often than other people's. These are the people who are especially vulnerable. So when God speaks of administering justice, of steadfast love and kindness and compassion, of righteousness, it almost always has to do with those people who are most vulnerable in a society. And so when you read through the book of Jeremiah, you see over and over again God's heart for the people who are getting hurt by those who just want to use them, who charge an exorbitant interest, who pay them dirt for wages. These are the people taken advantage of, used as sex slaves, and other things. So here's the question. How do you know that you know God? Jeremiah says, look, I want you to brag about this. I want you to boast in this, that you understand and you know God. So these are the people of Israel. They probably go, what do you mean, know God? Of course we know God. He's our God. We worship him at the temple. He may not like some of the things we do, but of course we know God. How do you know that you know God? The answer is, your heart delights in the things that delight the heart of God. These people went to the temple, gave lip service to God, but their hearts didn't delight in the things of God. Because what they would do after worshiping God is they would walk outside Jerusalem into the Valley of Gehenna, which is also called the Valley of Slaughter, to offer their kids and sacrifice to the gods of the nations. I want to give you a positive example and a negative example. The negative example first. Jeremiah ministered over the course of several kings as his nation was going down the drain. There was one righteous king by the name of Josiah. He was really trying to set his nation back on the right track. He was really trying to awaken the conscience of a nation as well. He put in a number of different reforms. He, he broke down uh, statutes that people had set up to, to worship. And, and, but the thing is, is the culture, he was already on the skids. It was, it was too little, too late. And even though Josiah was a righteous guy, a righteous king, he, he couldn't do anything to stem the tide of where the nation was going. And so his son, Jehoiakim, was on the throne. He, he began reigning when he was 25 years old. He reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem, and we're told in the book of Kings that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Basically, everything his father did to try to change the nation, put in reforms, he undid them, and undid them in spades. And so Jeremiah was sent to this man to speak truth to power. And this is what he said. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels, with, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? In other words, Jehoiakim was just self-centered. All he cared about was his own glory. So he gloried in, he boasted in, he bragged about his palace and, and the wealth that he was accumulating. But Jeremiah says this, did not your father have food and drink? In other words, your father was a righteous man and he had the basics of life. What did he commit himself to? Jeremiah says he did what was right and just. 
So all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is, not, is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. So are you tracking with us? Is this making sense? God told the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah that they refused to know me. Jehoiakim was preoccupied with his own glory. But Josiah, his father, fed the poor. He took care of the needy. And God says, isn't that what it means to know me? In other words, when you're concerned about the things that concern the heart of God, that's what it means to know him. When your heart delights in the things that delight in the heart of God, that's what it means to know him. It's mirrored in your life. It's mirrored in my life. So Jehoiakim was a negative example. How about, how about a positive example? How about the man named Job? If you know anything about Job, it's J-O-B, looks like Job, but his name was Job. If you know anything about him, he underwent immense tragedy in his own life, and he had uh, friends that, come, that came to him and tried to help him figure out life, and it actually became more of a curse for him than, than anything. But at one point in the book of Job, Job said this, and listen especially to how he describes the way he helped others. He said, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the followless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant. If I denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? If, and he says this later on in the book. If I had denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I had kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared them as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I had seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments, and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece for my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint." And then he goes on and lists a few more things. And he said, these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God. Here's a positive example of what it means to know God, to delight in the things that God delights in. Job himself cared for the most vulnerable in his society. And so to summarize our study so far, our hearts should delight in the things that delight the heart of God. This is God's own definition of what it means to know him. Our hearts should delight in the things that delight the heart of God. Or to put it slightly differently, our hearts should break with the things that break the heart of God. Or to put it even more differently, our hearts should be moved by the things that move the heart of God. This is what Jeremiah is trying to get his people to see. My friends, we need to hear his voice echoing through the decades, through Jesus, and into our own lives as well. What it means to know God is not to be preoccupied with our own selves, but to be preoccupied with the things that God himself says he's preoccupied with. Now, unfortunately, Jerusalem fell. 
Jeremiah witnessed the collapse of his nation as the Babylonians came knocking on the door. They were so morally corrupt, internally rotting from decay. This was an easy victory for the Babylonians. They carried, carried off the people of Jerusalem into exile. And that was a sad ending. But it's not the end of the story. It was into this ancient world filled with oppression and filled with violence that God sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself took upon himself the sins and oppressions of a world gone astray. In a demonstration of of what it meant to, to love people well, to seek justice, to love mercy, to do righteousness, Jesus himself became a victim of injustice the schemes of unrighteousness among people, folks who had no mercy and kindness in their hearts. And in this act of violence on a political and religious level, God himself was working to bring about salvation for this world. And so in Jesus, we see both the epitome of someone who loves justice, mercy, and righteousness, and a person who took injustice, hatred, and oppression in wrong ways upon himself. And so, my friends, as we think about this, I want to wrap it up in just a few points of application. I think the invitation is for us to still truly know God, to know God truly. In fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, this was one of the preeminent concerns that he had. And awakening the culture around him, he, he used many turns of phrases, just like Jeremiah did in his day, just like Micah did in his day, just like we would hear Martin Luther King do, uh, Jr. do in his day. But Jesus himself came that we might know God. In fact, on the night that he was betrayed, he was gathered together with his disciples. And in a prayer, he said these words, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. My friends, since the time of Jesus, the good news of Christianity is this. We get to know God as we get to know Jesus, because Jesus introduces us to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's because Jesus has to introduce us to his heavenly Father. And so this is what he wants to do. He wants to bring us back into relationship with God. G.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, has this sentence, which I absolutely love. He said, knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill the human heart. And that's absolutely true. Jesus Christ His mission was to bring people like you and me back into relationship with God. Not that we know things about God, but that we actually know God. And it begins to change and to transform our life. And so, my friends, let me ask you the question. Do you know God? You say, well, I'm sitting here in the church. Jeremiah's people were sitting in the temple. Do you know God? The invitation of Jesus is is to come to him. Receive the forgiveness of sins. He will bring you into relationship with this father. And relationship with him is calculated to thrill your heart. But not simply that. It's a relationship calculated to change and transform your heart as well. And that brings us to the second point of application. Connect the dots. Jeremiah was trying to help his people connect the dots between the things that they said they believed and the way they live their life. And I think that enduring challenges for us as well. We need to connect the dots between the things that we say and the way that we live our lives, specifically in the way that we move and, be and, move and live and have our being in a, in a broken world where people are still very vulnerable. It was said of Jesus in the book of Isaiah, these words of God, 
I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. My friends, part of the mission of Jesus is to bring justice, to set things to right, things that are broken. And he will come finally and fully one day to usher in the kingdom of God when that will be done fully and completely. But it began to break into this world even in his own life. In fact, at the beginning of his ministry, he was in a synagogue and he said this, quoting from that same prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus himself saw his ministry as a ministry to the poor. Now, certainly that means the poor spiritually, but his reign of grace is good news to those who are poor materially as well. Certainly those of us who experience sin as oppression, Jesus has come to set us free. But he's also talking about oppression that happens politically or in a society. Jesus has come to push back against that, and he calls us to live in light of that as well. So to connect the dots between who we say we believe, that is Jesus, who desires to bring justice to the nations, who saw his own ministry in line with what the prophets predicted, that one would come, who would be the exact kind of king that we need. Not like Jehoiakim or the other evil kings of Israel who led their people in oppression and inventing new ways of evil. Jesus is a, a righteous king, a merciful king, a just king. Jeremy Treat, in his book, Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything, wrote these words, and he helps us connect these dots. He said, the gospel... That is the good news about Jesus. The gospel creates a people who seek mercy and justice. Why? Because the gospel gives us eyes to see others the way God does and gives us new hearts. The gospel gets to the heart, drawing us to God and into God's mission. The more we understand the gospel, the more we are drawn into Christ's heart for the oppressed and hurting. Throughout scripture, we see that a true encounter with the grace of God, leads to a sacrificial heart for the marginalized and oppressed. I think he's spot on there. Jesus and his grace is meant to change us and to make us into people who are just and merciful. And so here's the warning. It's possible to say that we know God and not know God. It's possible for us to say one thing with our lips and to gather with other people who are saying the same thing with our lips, but to actually not know God, not to have his, his heart reflected in our own heart. That was true in the time of Jeremiah's day, but it's also true in ours as well. Let me just give you a couple examples. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a, a little document that's contained in the, the New Testament in your Bible. It goes by his name. He said, to, to the, he's talking to Christians. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? James, like a master surgeon, goes after cancer that is living in our hearts. Spiritual, deadly cancer. He says, look, there's a temptation to say you believe in God, that you are a follower of Jesus, but your life doesn't reflect it. The good works he's prepared for us to do are not manifesting them in your life. So he asked the question, can that faith save? You say you believe in Jesus, 
but it's not evident in the way that you live, especially in your concern for the poor, as he's going to say here in just a moment. So he, he asked the question, can that really save? He continues, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James, the brother of Jesus, is going for the jugular. He's trying to get us to awaken to the way that we think about living the Christian life. And he says, you can't live the Christian life if you don't have a concern for the poor. And he's speaking specifically in the context here of poor brothers and sisters in Christ. The Apostle John, one of the best friends of Jesus, in his little letter called 1 John, basically said the same thing. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down, speaking of Jesus, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So here's James and here's John in the tradition of Jesus and Jeremiah and the other prophets trying to awaken our conscience and say, look, on one level, it doesn't matter what you say you believe. It matters how you believe, the way it works itself out in your life. Does your heart delight in the things that delight the heart of God? Does your heart break with the things that break the heart of God? Is your heart moved with the things that move the heart of God? Christopher Wright, one of my favorite authors, has this trilogy called Knowing God Through the Old Testament. And he puts it very succinctly. He's going to make us ask a hard question of ourselves here. Listen to what he says. He says, there is no true knowledge of God without the exercise of justice and compassion. I have to ask myself then, what is there in my life that shows any love for and practical commitment to the poor and the needy. Whatever else I do, can I see that God's concern for the weak and the poor is reflected at all in my praying, thinking, giving, and doing? It's a good question. My friends, we're called to, to love God truly. We're called as well to, to sacrifice, to use our lives I want to make one further point of application here for us, and we'll close with this point. Serve the poor intentionally. I think if we're trying to hear what Jeremiah is saying, if we're trying to hear what Jesus himself and his apostles teach, then we need to cultivate a heart for those who are most vulnerable in our society. Some of you are doing that, and you're doing it well. I've seen you give sacrificially. I've seen you to care for people who are down and out. But for some of us, we need to create a category for this in our life, of what it means to actually follow Jesus. Many of you know who the Apostle Paul was. He was a man who was a Pharisee. He called himself the Pharisee of the Pharisees, the cream of the crop. He was probably a part of the original Pharisees that conspired to put Jesus to death. He was going around arresting Christians, having them put in prison, and he oversaw the first execution of a Christian. He eventually became a Christian himself when he met Jesus, <laughs> risen back from the dead, that kind of has a way of changing people's minds. And, and he, he was suddenly changed, and he's going about talking about Jesus. And the early church was freaking out a little bit about this because the man who was going around killing people because they were followers of Jesus now is actually calling people to follow Jesus. And so some of them are like, 
Is he really for real? <laughs> and so we're told in his book of Galatians that he met with, with the other leading apostles, with James, with Peter, with John. And they extended to him the right hand of fellowship. They said, look, you are legitimate. The gospel that you're preaching about Jesus, that's legitimate. So let's think about how we can do ministry in this world. We want you to go to these people over here. We're going to go to these people. We're going to send these other folks over here. And Paul says, look, this thing happened. And then he says this in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. He's like, I'm already on that. I understand that following Jesus means I have a heart for the things he has a heart for. And if he has a concern for justice, I want to have a concern for justice as well. Remember the poor? Absolutely. How can I not? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so, my friends, I want to ask you the question. Could you put a banner over your life that says, remember the poor? Is there evidence in your life that you're, you're intentionally trying to do that in your own life? It can look like maybe adopting kids. It can look like maybe supporting a widow. It can look like a, you know, sending money overseas to help people who are, who are building water in clean places. It can look like helping people who've been trafficked. It can look like visiting prison. Any number of things. My question is, is, is do we remember the poor? Paul says, look, that's the very thing he was eager to do. And by implication, we ought to as well. I'm going to let Tim Keller have the last word. His book, Generous Justice, How God's Grace Makes Us Just, he said this, there is a direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of grace and his or her heart for justice in the poor. To walk humbly with God is to know him intimately and to be attentive to what he desires and loves. And then he says this, to walk with God then, we must do justice out of merciful love. Justice, mercy, and the mission of Jesus. It's all interconnected. Next week, my friends, we're going to take another step in our journey together and thinking about this. And we're going to look at a passage in which Jesus says, when you actually do this, he takes it very personally. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 next week. But in the meantime, Mercy Hill Church, may you be a people who know God and who understand him, who get that he is a God who loves justice, mercy, and righteousness. He delights in these things. So may you delight in them as well.